This is a Dauntless Media Collective podcast. Visit dauntless.fm for more content. Hi, everyone. Welcome back to the Full Mutuality podcast. And welcome to February, if you're listening to this in February. I know we released this on the last day of January, but it's probably February for most of you. I know that for me, January is a really difficult month. Uh, it's a difficult month for a lot of us, and I'm pretty passionate about destigmatizing mental health. So I just want to share with you all that this is a rough time of year for me. And if you've been feeling low on energy or feeling seasonal, seasonally depressed, you're not alone. This time of year is statistically the hardest for us as a society. Uh, there's a higher number of suicides. There are less hours of sunlight. And I live in Canada where it's really cold and I just want to hibernate inside. So I'm thankful it's February. We made it out. And speaking of making it out, today's episode is actually a continuation of a conversation with Janice Legata that we started two episodes ago, but we interrupted to bring you our conversation with Brad Onishi. If you haven't listened to that episode, we highly recommend it. Brad's book just came out and we think it's a must read for anyone concerned about how Christian nationalism is infiltrating the U.S. government. Although it's not part of this conversation, it sort of ties into the topic at hand. Evangelicalism. Is it a cult? Go listen to part one if you haven't already, where we talk with Janice about our experiences with evangelicalism, and we introduce the BITE model of authoritarian control, which stands for, if you're not up to speed, behavior control, information control, thought control, and emotional control. Janice suggested we split it into a few parts to allow you the time in between to reflect on your own experiences and evaluate how they might fall under these different categories. It's a lot to process coming out of a cult. We like the bite model because it's not about evangelicalism specifically, and it can be applied to many types of high control environments. In fact, maybe like us, you didn't really think you were in a cult or are still hesitant to use that word to describe your experience. Maybe it's something you've never even considered. We know it can be a lot, so we're here to support you as you rebuild and find community on the other side of leaving evangelical spaces. Without further ado, here's our conversation with Janice. There are so many good people in churches. There are just so many good people in the world. And it's like, you guys are going out of your way to protect and rehome pedophiles and like abusers. And it's like, why? You know, unless you just have all this empathy because you're you're into it or you're you're doing whatever but like it just I'm like cognitively I just can't understand Okay so I think what we can do is go through each one of these categories, behavior, information, thought, and emotional control. Um, and on this website, it gives like I like examples under each category. And it gives um, it, it like a lot under each category. We're not going to mm-hmm. do everything. We're going to do more right. flyby. Like, yeah. Like, do a yeah. few maybe in each category. Right. Yeah. Right. So under behavior control, so I'll just list out a handful of examples. 
um, regulate an individual's physical reality, dictate where, how, and with whom the member lives and associates or isolates, when, how, and with whom the member has sex, controls the type of clothing and hairstyles, regulates diet, food, drink, hunger, and or fasting, manipulation and deprivation of sleep, financial exploitation, manipulation, or dependence. Um, the, the I mean, the list goes on. This is and all under behavior. These are all just under behavior control. Ding! Yeah, I know, right? Just check them all off. Um, Janice was like, "I lied." Yeah. Like, mm -hmm. yeah. <laughs> but it's but the thing is, like, all of that, all of that is present. But like, if you would have read me that list when I was a Christian, when I was in Christianity, but I would have said, "But nobody's making me do any of that." Mm -hmm. Like, it's all it's all recommended, and it's. It's just what the Bible says, though, right? Like, nobody, nobody's making me do this. Mm. I am modifying my behavior on my own. Right. By right. my own choice. By my own free will, according to the Bible. Which is interesting, too, right. because the Bible was used as a way to take out... I almost feel like if we had to acknowledge our pastor was telling us something, then we'd have to admit we're following a person. But I almost feel like that whole, the Bible says it was a great way to make them have more authority while we didn't realize that they were the authority. Like it, mm -hmm. it made the Bible look like that. It was like that puppet, you know, mm -hmm. that they had their hand yeah. inside and it's like, you're talking to the puppet, but no, it's actually them <laughs> that are controlling it. Cause the Bible can be read in many different ways. Yeah. Um, even like, you know, when it came comes to tithing or how that get, got implemented mm -hmm. as a teaching, right? Like I, two different churches I went to, very different on how they went about asking for money. Like one of them, they passed around a plate and the offering service was long and drawn out and like made to feel, you feel guilty if you don't, like they're watching you, okay? To see, it's a whole spectacle. And then in the other one, they didn't do that. They had like a little box in the back that you slipped it in discreetly and they would say like, you know, it, it, they taught it differently. There was always an encouragement to give in both, but it was done, you know, they both believed in the Bible, but like, I don't know. It's just yeah. interesting that like the Bible, that, that thing we told ourselves about how the Bible mm -hmm. we're just following, no one's making me, it's the Bible, but no, those people are using the Bible yeah. in the way that they want you to go about thinking through this topic. Yeah. But even, even for example, um, the the way that they might interpret a passage that talks about giving and donating, right? So, um, you know, you in in evangelical churches, um, in Baptist churches, in Pentecostal churches, oh man, especially Pentecostal churches, because they have a whole extra sermon during the service for just the the offering time. Mm -hmm. But um, they they might talk about the passage uh, where you know Jesus comes across uh the the poor widow who only has two pennies left and she gives all of that in to the uh the offering um at the temple and Jesus highlights that and points that out to his followers to the, you know the Pharisees around um and then these you know these these Pharisees these church leaders these you know high profile people in the church they show up with their bags of money that they toss into the offering um and then he says you know those men have given out of their wealth um but this woman has given um out of her her you know poverty and i've always heard that passage taught as 
you know, give sacrificially. That woman is your example to to give, right? You look at that woman and that's what 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 Christ she's highlights. She's poor and she has right. nothing and she's starving and she's still giving. Then what excuse do you have? Right. Right. To right. not give, right? Yeah. But um at at a mainline church, uh specifically at at a church that's part of the United Church of Christ. Well, your church. Um maybe yeah. other mainline, I don't know how other places teach yeah. it, but True. True. Um so at at my church um, our pastor taught that passage differently, highlighting, pointing out that Jesus highlighted that woman as a way to point a finger at the system that would somehow convince her to give out of that poverty that she has. You and all they are giving. Even to, looking yeah. after her, right? He's right. shaming them. He's right. pointing out that you are giving out of your wealth to this system, and this system is forcing a woman to, who has nothing to give all that she has left. And if you have how all that money, how is she is that? How is she that broke sitting mm -hmm. by? <laughs> like exactly. Is... Yeah, I remember so, hearing that from our church and being like, "What? I, how have I never ever? How have I heard this taught in reverse my whole life?" Right. Right. The whole time. Which doesn't even make sense, like if you look at it in context, because how does the story end? Like Jesus Jesus is about to tear this whole system down. Like his mm -hmm. whole death is like getting rid of this. So it's like, why would he be commending the thing? Like Jesus already knows he doesn't like this system and he's, you know, <laughs> yes, my death is gonna change this whole thing. So it's like, why would he be, oh, here's how to be a part of this system right. that I do not like and have come to flip on its head. Yeah. Like, but you've never heard it taught <laughs> that way though. Like it, like you've definitely Janice yourself heard those sermons preached in a way to encourage you to give oh, more, always, to, to give, give out of their always. Yeah. Mm -hmm. yeah. Absolutely. Did yeah. you guys hear, this is my church experience. Did you guys hear like stories? Did, did your pastors tell stories about people who gave their last, you know, they're, they were running out of gas on the highway. This is sorry. Yeah. And they yeah. and they had like they had like five bucks and they were gonna run out of gas. And like God just told them, like, give this money, you know, and I'm gonna bless you. And they just heard a conviction in their heart and like that give it to that random stranger or whatever. And like they they didn't feel like they could give that up, but God was testing them. And then like they gave it and then that turned out, you know, somehow that stop to give that person money ended up filling up their gas tank. Or the or the gas. No, I heard one story where the the gas, even though it was on empty, just kept going. Just never ran out. Like like the like the the jar in the old testament. I feel, yeah, the I, say, I yeah. feel like they stole that from <laughs> they it the off. story of Elisha with the I have the... heard this story. So like <laughs> do you, you guys hear stories to encourage you? Like if yeah. you do this, Absolutely. here's yeah. what's gonna happen to you. Here's how mm -hmm. that's gonna work out in your favor. And did it work? Like did the storehouses fling open? What was you guys' experience with giving? <laughs> did it help? No. No, no it did <laughs> I mean, well, I think I like I do think something some things in the Bible are true, right? Like there are, you know, rain, the rain falls on the just and the unjust alike. Right. Mm -hmm. And so, yeah. like, I think giving as a principle it's is good. good. Mm -hmm. And I think it is. I think it is healthy. Like if you have a certain amount of that you set aside to mm -hmm. to give away, I think it does. I think it does do something to you and I think it does do something for you. And I think like, I think people people in the world, right, use these principles and like to live with an open hand, to be generous mm -hmm. is not a bad thing. Mm -hmm. um, so I think that it can, 
it can work. And it just it just does something to you mm-hmm. as a person, I think, to just know, okay, I have this certain amount and I'm I'm giving it away. Mm-hmm. Um like like I don't like the principle of giving is good. Like it is good to be to be generous. Um yeah. so like I never I never regretted tithing. Mm-hmm. Um like I never felt like I mean, I get mad now thinking about it, knowing knowing what they were doing with the money. Mm-hmm. But like, even even back then, I was like, "Well, it's not on. That's not on me. I'm doing my part. I'm doing what right. I'm supposed to do." Um, right. So I never. I always kind of felt okay. This isn't my money, anyway. Yes, now if I had it all to do over again, I would still give it, just not to the church. Mm. Right. right. Like right. I would still happily be happy to give this this amount to something that really actually mattered to someone mm-hmm. actually that you know that's something cared about, about yeah being outside of evangelicalism I, that's something i've noticed recently more and more is that when i feel prompted to give it's things that get me passionate and that i'm excited about right. and that i'm really like it's like a fun thing to be like i get to participate in this thing and i get to tie tie myself into helping with this thing and it's it's like it's so exciting and i I never felt I never felt that in church. Like I would yeah. go to the AGMs and look through the budget just and I would tithe and I would look at that where everything was given to get excited about it. And even when I would present, you know, um because I was a youth pastor, you know, and I would I would be at the AGM explaining how the youth budget gets spent to the donors and <laughs> the church. Mm-hmm. Um and and I was trying to like, you know, convince people that yes, you're giving your money to to this is how your money is being used. But like, there's a lot in a church budget that you don't sometimes don't even know about things that get lumped together and encouragements to spend and spend and spend on church. And I don't know, like I don't, I didn't have the same passion giving to church that I have now. It's a yeah. totally different yeah. uh, experience. There's no, no guilt, no pressure. It's really literally whenever I feel inspired and however I feel inspired, and it's coming from. Like the Bible always, they were always throwing those verses at me, like God loves a cheerful giver. And so I would try, but it even felt like a pressure. Like, am I happy yeah. enough about giving happy. to the I church? I need to be happy about it, this. Yeah. Like it wasn't <laughs> organic. It was not really coming from the depth right. of within. And I think the, like the, the stress that I felt to always have to give a certain percentage is something that, and I'm not saying, you know, as a principle, that might not be a good idea to set for yourself, but there were times where I was struggling to feed my kids as a teen mom. There were t- and mm-hmm. I was tithing, you know, and I have friends who <laughs> couldn't pay a mortgage and who had things repossessed because they were giving to the church. And I think right. through how like that widow story and I think through how there can be regret about giving when it was coming out of a place of feeling a pressure and where you weren't even able to look after yourself first because you were in a desperate situation, but you felt like if I don't give to God, he's not going to bless me and take care of me. But if I give to right. God, then absolutely he's going to come through because he's a faithful God. And so that sort of plays into your head and there's an expectation that God is. And then what happens if you still can't, you know, it's still not working and maybe you should have used those funds for yourself. Like, um, I think one piece of good advice I did get from an evangelical one time, I was, uh, I had a sponsored child through compassion that I'd given to all the, like for many, many years. And I was broke at some point and not able to like, I didn't know how to make my family budget work. And I had two kids and they were like, I know you're passionate and excited about helping a sponsor a child. I have a different opinion on sponsored children now and how that whole system works and all the problematic stuff. But at the time I was like, 
you know, I'm getting to help this other person. They're, they're writing me letters. It's it's sweet. It's nice. All those commercials and propaganda, you know, I'm not saying there's no good work that happens with, but there's a lot of questions I have now learning more and more about how the, how that encourages people to see themselves, the white saviorism, the ways that organizations have done a lot of damage um, through coming into countries with evangelicalism. Um, mm-hmm. But putting that all aside, I did have an evangelical say to me, um, you need to look after your family first. And I think you need to put a pause on sponsoring a child until until you're, you know, able to look after your own, like your own, you know, there's some good principles in the Bible, like, you know, taking care of your own first before. And like, that was a good piece of advice that I appreciated. But I still had the reason I had done that first, and I didn't even think about it was just like, you just do this. You just set aside this without thinking of if you can even afford to do it, you know, like, yeah. Right. Because everything is, she- is a test. Yeah. Mm-hmm. It's all yep. a test. And yeah. we're all, you know, fighting the flesh all the time, yeah. right? So, of course, the worse it feels, like, the better it probably is for me. Mm-hmm. Like, it's yeah. not supposed to be easy. So, if you're sacrificing, then it means you love God more. And so, the worse it feels, the more you're sacrificing. Mm. Right. right. And it's probably setting you up for something great, right? Because he's, he's testing you and, like, the... The lower you you can get and the more you can sacrifice, the more he can trust you with later. So Mm -hmm. hang in there. Yep. Before we uh, get to information control, I did want to highlight one particular subset. Something popped um, on at you in the behavior? Yeah. So um, behavior control with regards to when, how, and with whom um, the member has sex. Um, I think if there's anything that marks evangelical Christianity, it's the 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 way that they dictate and control sexual expression. Um, yeah, so people's sexuality. I think that's one of the the primary ways that evangelical Christianity exerts control over people. Um, and so. I don't know, in- for- Invasively, like mm-hmm. so, like stuff that your answer should be none of your business. It's their business. <laughs> yeah. Right. Yeah. Did you masturbate yeah. last night? What? Who is having this conversation in real life? <laughs> Why would you be that having is, this? That is a conversation that I will only have with my doctor. You have that with friends. <laughs> oh yeah. You oh yeah. Take- we, yeah. My my normal. My, yeah, right. Janice, I mean, now, you... now, I mean, everything is open. So, like, you're just talking with your friends about whatever, and you can joke yeah. about whatever. But it, but it is truly information that you're offering freely, right? And, you know, not because somebody's <laughs> demanding, that not of because you. right, you and have... nobody, and nobody's questioning it. Like nobody's. It's not through an accountability partner that you're having right. this con. Like, an account- <laughs> right. if anyone's listening to this and you're like, what's an accountability partner? That is a specific person you sit down with to talk mostly only about. I'm not saying maybe you don't have an accountability on something else. But if I ever heard an evangelical talking about having an accountability partner, usually the bulk majority was to discuss your sex, sex life. Always about yeah. sex. Yep. I mean, ultimately, yep. I really think I think the whole purity culture piece is is the foundation because honestly, like if you took away, if you took away worrying about people's sex lives, 
what would how would evangelicalism know know anything about anyone because i mean you're you're basing your pastors on the married the married straight white married male like you're you're putting people in leadership or keeping them out based on what they're doing sexually or what they want to do sexually right like you might not even be doing anything but you're gay you know Mm -hmm. you're queer so you can't be trusted in this area you can't you're never gonna rise here and it's like ultimately like i think everything in evangelicalism is based on is based on sex and if you took that away like if you weren't worried about who was married and who wasn't and who was doing what and just literally had to choose people based on who knows the bible or who is taking care of the poor who is whose household is it like you know like right. any anything else it would all fall apart well, and yeah. like purity culture is the thing that that now like kind of lets me know okay who can who can i trust in conversation and who who right. can't i and you can be great and you can be decolonizing and you can be talking about whatever but as soon as you come at me with but yeah sex before marriage it's mm. still we're not you're not there yeah. like yeah. there are some things that no you're still you're still holding on to harmful harmful beliefs yeah, it might be for is... you like and if you and if you can say that and if you can say well for me this is what you know this is what i choose but i'm fine with what anybody else is choosing to do okay but if you're like no this is for me and I think it is best for everyone else. Usually when they say, it's fine for me, I don't hear the second part of, and I'm fine if you don't. It's just, it's fine right. for me. No. And that awkward, it's silent pause yeah. of like that look in their eyes that's sort of telling you. <clears throat> and it is, because secretly it is what's yeah. best for, for everyone. everyone. And you, you should know, be I can't, fine with it too. I can't judge you. I won't judge you. <laughs> but I've also. Out loud. Right, out loud, exactly. I'm not going to put you in leadership. And I also exactly, you know, yep. yep. I, I had heard, uh, and it's a recent thought, and I haven't looked and explored it enough. But I had heard that um, a lot of that focus on purity culture uh, is very tied into white supremacy because there was a big fear of mixing races, and so white supremacy has had a big role in shaping um, that that need to control sex lives because who you're having sex with is then controlled. And then that gives more power over making sure that the wrong people don't. I mean, there was rules about, you know, interracial marriages and who you can marry. Like these were pieces of the purity culture stuff like that you couldn't intermix. Those were laws Mm -hmm. on the books in the U S so like purity culture, white supremacy also have a, have a connection, have a, they're, they're friends. They're, they hang out They're They're, they need each other. It is, and it puts it just puts so much, so much shame on people, um, which also you know helps control behavior. But like if you think about just American history, and so even if you're talking about okay, marriage, sex before marriage, you can't you have to be married. Well, like what is marriage? Who is deciding that? So then, what do you say to every enslaved person? Right. Because you're already you've already dehumanized them. You're already treating them like animals. But like also y'all can't get married. So now everything that all these people do is sin, like just for all those generations or even, you know, even up until, yeah, interracial marriage, you can't get married. 
So we're forcing you to live in sin. Like this is this is sin. Queer people, you can't get married. Like you're it's just this this element of control that just yep. carries on and on and tells people that they are inherently you're inherently sinful, you're inherently bad. Mm-hmm. And there's nothing there's nothing you can do about that, which is so ridiculous because like marriage, this is this is a governmental thing. Like this mm-hmm. is mm-hmm. We have just decided this is how marriage works. Well, yeah. like, who's to say, like, if you want to say, you know, marriage is a biblical idea and, you know, whatever. Well, who's to say, I don't just decide, Nate, I don't know. I'm just really into you right now. And I just, let's just be married. We're married for. There you go. Yeah, it's all done. <laughs> I, yeah. I don't for know. The next... <laughs> <laughs> you know, <laughs> I have decided to commit myself to you for now. We'll see how it goes. Yeah. Like, maybe, you know, maybe five minutes from now, we'll, you know. But yeah, I've had conversations with yeah. people who, who have had marriages without government documentation, and that's meaningful to them. And there's an actual decision and a thought process behind why they don't feel like the government should play a part in their commitment or their... De- and. And you know the one of the people I was talking talking to, um, we'd gone through a very similar experience. I've come out of a marriage, and I know how hard it is legally to untangle. Like anyone who's like, "Oh, you're getting divorced because you, you know, you're taking the easy way out." I'm like, "Have any of you gone through a divorce to know how easy this is, or how hard and difficult a process this is to go through? Like, are you joking me? Like." I, I, I'm I'm really strongly feeling like there needs to be laws against anyone under 25 getting married because I got married at 17 and I'm like, your hmm. brain's not fully developed till 25. And why are we allowing people to enter into these contracts before they can even think through the kind of dis- anyway? Oh, that gets right. me so passionate. Yeah. yeah. But like yeah. it is a government. When you talked about the word biblical marriage, I'm going off now. My, my brain is just firing. But like biblical marriage. <laughs> I think at my wedding ceremony, because they and I are planning to get married. Janice, you've inspired me with your ghost writing. I think I might have my Reverend Ghost write some lines in for me, <laughs> like that I might want to <laughs> insert. And I think I might want her to say, uh, Nate and Gail are not having a biblical marriage. And I want that to be like in my church being said, because um, biblical marriage, women were property in biblical marriages. Women mm-hmm. could yeah. not have a divorce in biblical marriages. When Jesus was talking to the disciples about uh, divorce. He wasn't referring to men and women because only men had that opportunity to ditch a woman when they upset them, and that's what they were doing at the time. And he yeah. was specifically right. addressing that, talking about God hating divorce. He wasn't addressing women in abusive marriages. He's talking to guys who have power and who are using that power against women. So biblical marriages. I mean, there was concubines in the Bible. There was um, lots of stuff that was a part of biblical marriage that we just don't apply. And this whole idea of marrying for romance is a Victorian era. Like it's a new, it's like evangelicals. It's a new thought. It is a new, like the rapture. It's a new thing. And we're going to stand in churches and be like, let's talk about biblical marriage. And it's like, really? That's not what you're talking about, though. Like that is absolutely not what you're discussing because you don't actually practice biblical marriage. Biblical marriage involved uh, polygamy, not polyamory, but polygamy. Uh, that was involved in biblical marriages. There's, I mean, there's tons of stories, and we don't. Yeah. That's not what we're following. Um, yeah. And people act like the Bible is super clear about this modern concept we now have, and pretend that's biblical marriage, and it's just. And it's not at all. Like, there's not. Show me one example in the Bible of a biblical marriage. 
that we like, call a biblical we, marriage yeah, now. We'll that we call, what we like, assume is. like, the one man, the one woman, who are one, each other's one and only, mm-hmm. all their lives, and all their children, right, are theirs. Like, this, yeah. this nuclear family does not exist. Right. Mm-hmm. No. No. Doesn't exist. We would they, David and Michael. Oh, wait, no. David and Abigail. Oh, wait, no. David and Bathsheba. <laughs> oh, there was Abraham oh, wait, and, Sa- and, and Sarah. At least it wasn't uh, like... And then you're like, oh, wait, but he traded her off to to when he was trying to hide. Yes. Right. Yes. Mm-hmm. Even the ones that looked like they were only with one partner were still sharing, sharing their woman mm-hmm. around. Right. Yep. Those yeah, are yep. your patriarchs of the Bible. Right. And then, mm-hmm. oh... I'm not getting what I want out of this. So come on and bring on, let's bring in another woman and let's, you know, yeah. get the surrogacy yeah, going on. That's like, right. That's right. No, it wasn't just, uh, there was Haggai as well. It wasn't just Sarah. No. Who am I mm-hmm. thinking? Isaac and Rebecca, maybe? There's very few. <laughs> yeah. And Leah. I, yeah. That was Rachel. Oh, Rachel. And, uh, that was Jacob. Rachel. Jacob, Jacob. Rachel yeah. and Leah. There's so many of those in the yeah. Bible. They're the predominant, the predominant majority of stories are not. Not mm-hmm. your your what we call biblical marriage today. No, oh, it's a wonder. It's no wonder why um why they they love to talk about Isaac and Rebecca because that's really the only one mm-hmm. that that where you don't talk they don't mention any of Isaac's um other, other women people. right. And also, it's a novel thing in any Bible story where it's not a chosen arranged marriage either, right? Like it's not a family right. arrangement. It's not a you know. This, there was a lot of political, I mean, marriage was a very yeah. political thing throughout most of history. So this romantic notion we have that you're picking someone because you fell in love with them, you won't, that's not something common in the Bible. Like it's just a yep. rare thing to find anywhere in scripture. Mm-hmm. Yeah. 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 Okay. So information control. Um, oh, this one has like kind of an outline sort of thing. Oh, oh, wow. This is. This is a more triggering category. Okay, so oh, um, more than more than more. <laughs> controlling <laughs> our sex lives, Nate. What's going on? <laughs> um, well, hey, quick so, question before before we go on to that. So, like behavior control, we have that list of things. Yeah, for to qualify as a cult, does it have to be like? Oh no, check, no. Check one thing in each column, or is it like check three things under B? You have to check three things under. No, or is it just like you have one thing under right so i think the way that they that um stephen hassan sort of um frames it and i'm i'm kind of just looking at the the page itself i'm sure there's way more information across the website overall um but from from what i gather any combination of these things to varying degrees can um, is a clue that you're in an authoritarian controlled environment. It's probably um, not like a school pass or fail, like if you get over 60% in the, in all the categories, but it's probably more of this is a whole spectrum of what it looks mm-hmm. like. So like how many of these is more a matter of you understanding how deeply, uh, how far along on this, like how deeply yeah. entrenched it is in terms of a controlling place. Right, right. Because like, you know, we were looking at behavior control and some of these, especially when we're inside, we're not going to acknowledge that these are things. And But from the outside, having, you know, looking back in, we might say, oh, yeah, for sure. This is control. This is control. This is control. But I think there there might be a way to sort of look at this and say, um, to some degree, yes. And if you have to ask that question, then go ahead and put a check 
check mark there and and assume that there's some kind of authoritarian control to like and and at you know again varying levels of authoritarian control right your your pastor might not even be willingly or willfully exerting that kind of control. He may not sit down but, with you and ask you questions, but maybe the sermons and the messages and the mm-hmm. small group talk are centering around these topics. Mm-hmm. So there's a pressure there. Like it's those are it's important to recognize these control elements happen in different right. ways. It's not always a direct right. Monitoring. There's there's one under behavior control instilled dependency and obedience. Right. I mean, when I was a kid, I remember um, hearing like we would sing that song. Obedience is oh, the very cool. best way. To show that you believe doing exactly what the Lord commands, I doing it happily. One. You know yeah, that one, Janice? I don't know that one. I have the <laughs> I read your Bible, pray every day, and you'll grow, grow, yeah. grow. Wait, no, trust and obey. There's no other way. Yeah. Trust and him. obey. There's yep. no other to be way. Happy in Jesus. Right. Trust yes. and obey. Yeah. So, a lot and then of songs that's about that. obedience. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And that was then they. a big they, deal. Oh, it was. Yeah. It was children, the worst obey your sin. parents. Yeah, in the Lord, mm-hmm. so that it may go well with you. Oh, yes. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yes, I remember being taught that, like, if you didn't obey your parents, your your life would be shortened. Your life would be, yeah. And that was a Bible your verse. De- but... <laughs> your life depended on it. That's, that, that's, yep. that's intense, right? Yeah, like, yeah. imagining you can die if you're not mm-hmm. obeying your parents. Mm-hmm. Yep. Right. And everyone would know. Yeah. Mm. Yeah. That you were disobedient, like about like dying as a child. Mm-hmm. They'd be all at your and funeral like, being like, you didn't listen to your parents. Yeah, why did why did he die? Why didn't did why? Didn't obey. Right. Didn't trust and obey. It's awful. <laughs> and it's not yeah. like awful. he didn't obey his parents by like running into the street and a car hit him, but it's like, you know, your parents were micromanaging everything. Did you read that book? Did you do this? Did you get to bed and talk? Like mm-hmm. the small little minute details mm-hmm. to have to obey. It's not like yeah. just a general co- principle. It was like it was intense in how yeah. that, that stuff yeah. got got passed down yep so information control um the first point under information control is deception and under deception they have these other ones um deliberately withholding information distorting information to make it more acceptable or systematically lying to members um yeah who wants to go first So I mean, all all you of, two well, and Hillsong. I'm just looking at you right now. Like, all of the above, but like, we didn't know that. We no, know. we didn't know. We didn't know. It's gonna get even more. Like, I mean, that I I think back to my time uh, in in fundamentalism. Um, specifically, some of these are specific to Bob Jones University. Some of them are also uh, uh, applicable to to my church. But yeah, deliberately withholding information. For sure, um, you know, not telling us so, like so. Pastors who go to seminary outside of the the fundamentalist world, pastors who go to seminary, they learn certain things. When you learn how to read Koine Greek, when you learn how to read Hebrew, you start discovering how the Bible works, and you start finding out that the things that you're that you're supposed to be teaching your congregation are not actually in the Bible. But then they go ahead and and teach those things to their congregations anyway, because if they don't, they'll be out of a job. Right. Um, but they're withholding this information from their congregations. Mm. Um, like, yeah, that's, that's one way. I mean, to the, the fact that any seminary worth its salt will teach their, um, their students that, the word homosexuality 
did not appear in the Bible until the English NRSV in 1946. So, but then they, all of these preacher boys go back to their churches and they talk about how the Bible teaches against homosexuality, right. a word that doesn't make its way into the Bible until 1946. So, <laughs> which is so recent. <laughs> exactly. Like, that's so close. Yeah, this book that was supposed to supposedly completed 2000 years ago. <laughs> That's only made yeah. its way there. Yeah. 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 Oof. Yeah. And it's but it's that one's such a tough one cuz you don't know until you're out and you're looking at it cuz mm -hmm. when you're in it, you think you think you're getting all the information. Yeah. But <laughs> but I mean, I would say to anyone, you know, you're still somehow hanging around at Hillsong. You are seeing practically every other week how they withhold information from you oh, and only yeah. tell you when they're forced to. Like, yeah, because the news breaks it to you before they come and say it. Or they break it to right. you right before the news is about to release it and mm -hmm. they know that it's right. coming. Yeah. Right. And always after they've already told you something else. Mm -hmm. Right. And we're, yeah. oh, no. Okay. Yeah. We said that before. But that was because, you know, whatever. And now right. now we're we're telling you the full truth. They're not. They are withholding information. Yep. What is it you wanted me to reconcile myself to? I was born here almost 60 years ago. I'm not going to live another 60 years. You always told me it takes time. It has taken my father's time, my mother's time, my uncle's time, my brother's and my sister's time, my nieces and my nephew's time. How much time do you want for your progress? I hate you, naturally. And I hate black people. Things are going to get worse before they get better. What is presented to me as an American does not look like me. Because you're not allowed to be a black man in corporate America. You give us a hard time for being white, being American, and being in control. And when you live under a situation like that constantly, uh, and then... You ask me, you know, whether I approve of violence. I mean, that just doesn't make any sense at all. Yeah, there's a lot of crazy stuff happening right now. And you know what? We need a space where we can debrief some of it and deconstruct. If you've been looking for a POC-centered podcast that engages with intersectionality, religion, critical race theory, and some hip-hop culture, then you need to check out Profane Faith. I'll be your host, Daniel Whitehodge, and we go in every other week. So check us out wherever you find your podcasts or check us out at whitehodgepodcasts.com to see what other platforms we're on. Cool? Aye. Peace. Hey, everyone. I'm Nate from the Full Mutuality Podcast. I wanted to take a moment to say thank you for tuning into this show. We're so grateful that you've decided to spend your time with us. Seriously, Dan, Gail, Jessica, Kathleen, Scott, and the rest of us here at the Dauntless Media Collective couldn't produce content like the show you're listening to without your support. I'd also like to invite you even further into the conversation. Right now, there are some great discussions happening over in the Dauntless Media Collective Discord server. If you're interested in chatting with other folks who are deconstructing and decolonizing the oppressive traditions that they came from, please feel free to hop on into the server. If you don't know what Discord is, it's a place where communities can gather online for chatting on a wide variety of topics, 
In our Discord server, we have channels devoted to general deconstruction conversations, some meme sharing, therapeutic venting about whatever religious bullshit you're currently dealing with, and even a channel specifically devoted to talking about the latest episodes of the podcast you're listening to right now. I hope you'll join us. You can log in directly to the Dauntless server by clicking the link in the show notes or heading to dauntless.fm and clicking the link in the top banner. See you there. I mean, I think a really important one in withholding information uh, that that came up recently was in the Southern Baptist churches. But I, and I don't want to pick on them only because I, mean, I do want to pick on them because this is a big deal. But I think it applies to so many churches outside. I've seen this thing go down. Like, I know it's not yeah. just a Southern Baptist issue, but like withholding information about pedophiles or sex abusers in your church is a common thing that happens in evangelical churches mm-hmm. with the idea that, well, we as pastors, you know, we don't want to gossip. And we can take care of it. And we know that person or we're working with them or we're having these conversations with them. And the whole keeping it in-house mentality of like move that person around to another place if something goes wrong. But you don't tell your con- – you know, don't even tell the next place what they're what they're receiving and what they're getting. Um, like withholding information, that's that's what popped in. I didn't go to Hillsong. So the first thing that popped into my head was – Sex abuse, mm-hmm. <laughs> uh, predators mm-hmm. in your church, and the leaders that the in the report that came out from the SBC, and it's not to say that every single person in that organization, there was people who exposed and that were part of doing that, but so many top leadership. I mean, that was what was so shocking about the whole mm-hmm. thing. Knew yeah. about many had their own lists when they were telling people they couldn't keep track. They were keeping track and they were withholding that information. And and putting people's lives in in jeopardy, putting children's lives in jeopardy, in order to to feel like they were in in charge of this situation, they had it under mm-hmm. control. They want to look bad. Yeah, I remember a few years ago. Um, so I'm in in these different uh, Facebook groups, um, survivors from the Independent Fundamentalist Baptist movement, and um, somebody pointed out that there was a church. Um, that was having some kind of special conference and, uh, there, there were some, they were posting some pictures from the conference and there was a guy that was singing in the choir who was a convicted child molester from another state. Um, and that he's supposed to be registering wherever he goes, but he was in the choir at this conference and the, um, and so the, the the person who who shared this info with us you know was encouraging us to go on their facebook page and just remind them that hey we're noticing you have pictures of this convicted child molester um do, are you aware that that he is there and he was a deacon at his previous church or a pastor or something so you know people started posting on their facebook page they were deleting the comments and then people started going on, uh, um, I guess, started to try to message them. They weren't responding to messages. And then next thing you know, they just went up, straight up deleted their Facebook page. Um, like they don't, not want, shady at all. <laughs> they don't <laughs> want people to know this guy must have must be on some kind of track to leadership or something. But yeah, there like there it is withholding information, lying to their members. I mean, I feel like Uh, Hillsong can tie both of those in together, not just general information (laughs) holding, but how much times, you know, was there cheating from pastors and go like shenanigans happening. And, you know, you you find out way, way later, but there was all this previous stuff happening before. Mm -hmm. And also so much, so much sexual abuse. And yeah, I mean, Hillsong 
it's it's literally in the roots it's in the foundations mm-hmm. like yeah. it's why he's he's in court there. currently on trial yeah it's like from the get-go him and his it's dad from day one yeah and it's and again so much of this gets tied back into into you know sexuality and mm-hmm. And like to think about it, I'm like, it's just so bizarre. Like, why are you? There are so many. There are so many good people in churches. There are just so many good people in the world. And it's like you guys are going out of your way to protect and rehome pedophiles and like abusers. Yeah. And it's like, why? You know, unless you just have all this empathy because you're you're into it or you're you're doing whatever but like it just i'm like cognitively i just can't understand i feel i I have a theory on this one i feel like so i think part of it is what you just said a lot of empathy a lot of people who who really you know just trying to trying to be loving what like or they're into it like you said as they're themselves are shady but have have another opinion too i think I think that teaching of like sin and how bad and horrible we are and the sin leveling like the if you if that pastor you know if you looked at you know, porn last night, you're like a murderer. You've, you know, you do something in your heart and it's the same as acting out in real life. So like you find out someone is a rapist in your church and you have, if you speak out, how dare you, you looked up, you're the same as at the foot of the cross, yeah. all sins are equal. The sin leveling that goes on. I think people's belief in their own wickedness is very, an important key to um, controlling people in the sense of not holding others accountable. Like, I think that yeah. fear of being a terrible, if you imagine yourself, and I know, like, I, I maybe because I, like, fascinated with cult stuff, but when I was reading up on Sovereign Grace Ministries, that one was really interesting to me. I know Joshua Harris, the one who wrote I Kiss Dating Goodbye. Again, big purity culture manifesto mm-hmm. book. Um, but his mm-hmm. he was the he was at the flagship church of Sovereign Grace, and they used to brag all the time about how they are the worst of sinners, as like a pro- almost being proud of talking about how unworthy they were. It was a very big talking point in in how they would have con- like the need to constantly bring up how unworthless they were. You know, how are the you doing today? I'm doing better them. than I deserve. It was always <laughs> right. like you know, yeah about how unworthy they were. And I think if you have that perspective that you're so unworthy, then one, you can't hold anyone else accountable. But two, here's the weird thing, showing grace to someone who's done something really, really terrible almost becomes some cathartic way of trying to heal yourself. Like if I'm showering that really, like if we could turn them around just by showing them love, then there's hope for me. Like that's the Cinderella story. So like, let's find the worst person in this church and, and transform them through, through loving them. Like Mm. no, no practical thought to recidivism rates to like statistical scientific reality of certain crimes, like pedophiles and how you don't that no, you don't seek out the pet the worst, <laughs> and then no. and then love and them just and just hope that they're, they they because they've said them. they're changed and that forgiveness is going to transform them. This is like a recipe for like complete disaster. But I almost feel like it's an inner need in some of them to have that hero savior picking the most dramatic examples that like um trying to think of Paul turning you know from the murderer to the yeah you know but also like, still still very secretive right because we know Paul was a murderer. And this mm-hmm. was this this was said. This was part of his story. Yeah. So it's like so. Even if you want to lean into, well, this is empathy, and we're the worst of sinners, and we want to show grace and forgiveness. Tell the truth. Yeah. So like, why can't we say be it with public? your chest? You're right. Here is this. Here is this child molester. Yeah. And he's this in is what happened one. in his last place. Right. Maybe you don't have and your kids he... sitting next to him. 
right? And now he's here, and we have mm-hmm. restored him in, in truth and love. But here, everybody, let's all know the same information yeah. and decide. You don't need to know that know, information right. because he's never going to do it again because God has come. come. It's so, it's yeah. naive except, and dangerous. But no, but then it's malicious because mm-hmm. it doesn't happen. They don't just move the person once, right? No. And like, it, even if, you know, they said, okay, this is our policy and you get you get a freebie, right? You just get to do something awful yeah. and then we'll move you in hope that grace and forgiveness will work. All right, that's still awful, but that's something. But like they keep doing it. No matter how many times that person moving. is right. continuing. Yeah. yeah. So yeah. then that's when I'm like, no, there's something, there's something yeah. deeper and darker. Because you can't have it both ways. You can have yeah. you can have grace and forgiveness, but you gotta have the truth too. Oh yeah. And if you're not telling the truth, yeah. There's something, yep. there's something darker yep. oh, going yeah. on. Yep. 100%. Yep. Um, Minimizing or discouraging access to non-cult sources of information, including internet, TV, radio, books, articles, newspapers, magazines, media, critical information, former members, um, keeping members so busy that they don't have time to think and investigate, um, and controlling through cell phone with texting calls, internet tracking, et cetera. Mm. Yeah. Um, going back to when I was at, at Bob Jones, um, I mean, they, they tracked all of our internet, um, uh, usage. I mean, to the point where they were quite clearly like micromanaging people getting called into. They tell you how many minutes down to the second you were on a certain page looking at a certain site that had something objectionable on it. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, most of the time they were also, they, they were making stuff up to intimidate. So they, people might come across like a pop-up and then they would say, you were on this website for like, you know, 25 minutes. I'm like, what? No, there was a pop-up. I closed it immediately. Um, but yeah, there's there's that. Um, discouraging any of access you, to... Were any of you encouraged to get rid of all your secular music at any point? Oh, yeah. 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 I was encouraged listen. to get rid of my contemporary Christian music as well. <laughs> Fundamentalism <laughs> takes it up the whole like you guys are yeah. doing this thing. We're gonna take it twenty steps mm-hmm. further. <laughs> oh man, I remember when I got the somebody gave me for my birthday uh, when I was in eighth grade. The was it eighth grade or ninth grade. The Newsboys "Step Up to the Microphone" album, and was I, it contraband? I was loving it, but it was contraband. Yeah, it was first it sign was that it's it's bad. Mm-hmm. You're enjoying it. That's, that's, that's how you devil. know the enemy exactly. is at work. You're like, ooh, this catchy tune. That's the devil. That's it's the devil. devil. Anything with yep. a beat was the devil, apparently. Yep. Yep. Oh man. Exactly. Ooh. Um. Uh, definitely. And again, I ha- this is like, well, like you don't notice until until afterwards, right? And like now, you're like, oh, like yeah, I was so busy and so wrapped up in whatever, mm-hmm. and like nobody ever said, don't read this, but. Oh, well, here are I mean, fundamentalism does that kind of so the things that that mainstream evangelical churches will be like nobody ever said they will find like an underhanded way or 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 keep you busy so you don't notice well, here's those here's five bucks books to read right and if oh, you if exactly. you have time yeah after to get yeah. to that well I sure, think the but... the fundamentalist world didn't have 
I mean, they they cracked down so much that even books by John Piper weren't really allowed. Y- y- they called that- John MacArthur liberal. That's- My church called God- John MacArthur okay. liberal. Yeah, so that's, that's a different level. That's so when different- when the the pool of materials to choose from is so small, they kind of have no choice but to say, "Don't read this. Don't read this. Don't watch. Don't." In fact, no no TV in your home. No TV in your TV. home, right? Fundamentalists <laughs> often don't even have TVs in their home. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Can't watch the news. Can't. You, you cannot find out what's happening in the outside world. You just. It, but it again, exist. right? This is this is my choice, and this yeah, is, this is what but the how, Lord okay, requires. Let's do. It's me. your choice. I wasn't in fundamentalism, but they played video series explaining why Harry Potter was demonic. Uh, how <laughs> so? Did did they force you? Did they tell you we're going to kick you out if you watch this? No, but they made you watch eight videos explaining why right. the demons are going to get into your brain if you watch this. So they didn't have to tell you don't do it. The videos right. already scared you into yeah. Right. Yeah. Because how much like if you really think about it, um, yeah, we we can say, sure, I had a choice. I could leave. I could walk away from the church, whatever. But how much of a choice do you have? And is your choice based on your own volition? If you are afraid at the end of the day, if you are afraid that your eternal soul is going to burn in hell um, or that you're not going to be in the good graces of God or that you're going to miss out on rewards in heaven, whatever they tell you, mm-hmm. how much of a choice do you really have? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. You don't. You don't. You don't. Um, yeah, like the, the one that gets that me. you don't know that yet. Oh, that's true. <laughs> you don't. The, the one that really gets me is um, discouraging access to former members. Um, you know, or like, um, I don't know how they did on your church and mine or around, I won't say my church. I've seen this around so many Christians in the various churches I've been in, but like, it's hearing it talk about bitter, angry people and root of bitterness, that kind of talk. Like, I mean, we've had people write into our podcast that are like, you know, they had a friendly, nice tone, but like they were saying, you know, and like that association with bitterness through saying things that are uncomfortable, right? Like, so if you're calling out anything that's not okay, it's bitterness. So it's like you can't, anything that holds anyone accountable is like a root of bitterness taking hold in you. If you're angry right. or bothered about things, you just need to be quiet, basically. Mm. Right. So, right. yeah, talking to people who left, they're they're definitely bitter and angry, and you don't want to contaminate yourself by listening to people who are filled with poison in their brain. You know, like Janice, when you were at Hillsong, did anybody talk about Tanya Levin? Um, did anybody mention or try to discourage anybody from from reaching out to her? Yes, and no. Like I was, I was in Sydney when her book like first came out. Okay, and it was kind of like the the Streisand effect, right? Like Hillsong does this a lot. Well, they get worried about something. And and in, in the old days, it didn't matter as much because they had they had so much control over people. That didn't, but like they would bring up things that like most people wouldn't have known. Like if you guys didn't mention her book and you weren't so harping on it, most people would not have known about it. Mm. But like you guys, you guys keep bringing stuff up and part of it is... I think you're a guilty conscience. And then part of it is that you're just so 
defiant, right? About <laughs> about being defied. Like you just cannot believe and you just get so indignant and you just have to you just have to say something. So it's like a lot of if you guys would just be quiet about stuff, a lot of people wouldn't know. Um for so those when her who book don't came know, out, she was the one who wrote a book about Hillsong a, a, quite a long time ago, right? Yeah. yeah. Right. And I remember like I read the book back then and you read it. It was it was it was like, oh hmm. yeah, this is true. But, but, like she didn't get it. This is this is this is. Yeah, yeah, she, yeah. They're asking the people Holy for Spirit. money. Yeah, they're having people serve. Yeah, like, but, but it's fine. Like we're we're yeah. choosing these things on our own. Mm. Um. So like, I didn't, I didn't remember f- like feeling like badly towards her. Um. Mm. Like I did, I remember back then thinking, oh, like they're, they're really overhyping this. Like they're giving it so much attention and they're treating her really mean. And she's just like, it's just, it's just a book. Um, So it's just this weird thing where when you're so in it, right? Like you're still justifying things. And so it's not, it's not that, that big a deal. Um, And then once I left Australia, like she was never, never, ever mentioned. Mm. Like at yeah. Hillsong, New York, like it wasn't right. even. No, such I didn't a hear. World. Like it didn't. Yeah. yeah, I didn't hear about her until after I'd left. Um, but I think now the the narrative surrounding the documentary, which I thought was funny, that Phil Dooley got all you know worked up about the documentary, and at the time it wasn't even accessible. It wasn't in Australia. Even, yeah, but that's what I'm saying. Like they get so worked up over. I'm like, why? I I I just assumed, oh, it must be worldwide release. Like they're so worried about this thing. And it literally was not going to Australia. Wow. And it's like if you guys hadn't mentioned this, a lot of people would not have even known. Yeah. But you can't again, you guys you guys are just so defiant. You just cannot believe that somebody would say something. Mm. You just can't help but bring it up. And you make it worse for yourself. Thankfully, good. Like keep mm-hmm. keep whining <laughs> keep and complaining. Like <laughs> right? Yeah, it's interesting because I don't think at Hillsong, you know, there's probably no statements like "Don't watch the documentary," but there's probably like, "Oh, there's being stuff said about us out there," you know, and the devil's trying to. Well, att- he, I'm, that's he prob- definitely one hundred percent. That was that was his his storyline, right? Like, no, mm-hmm. we're we're under attack. We're being yeah. we're being assaulted. Uh, these Hollywood producers they have an agenda they're you know they're coming after our church and yeah they got these these angry people and uh we're sorry for people who may have been hurt but you know we're here are the good things we're doing here is look look over here but it's it's only pointing out everything that's going wrong but there's so many good things that are not being covered that we want you to focus on and and not not the Mm. not the parts that are you know they're their minority or there's always the The China. Right. No. And they're bitter and they're angry. And mm-hmm. these people are are hurt and they have an agenda. They have an agenda. But it's it, interesting yeah. when you like uh our uh, we were recording a podcast yesterday with someone named Zach who uh 
he he runs a podcast and he starts it with uh, I took down a mega church. But he actually uh, Christianity Today when they were covering the the fall of Mars Hill, they bring him up at the end as somebody who really was a part of the collapse because he exposed the documents uh, where Mark Driscoll. Yeah, he was, was the one that leaked the the, uh, the William Wallace where, second where Driscoll's hmm. just writing yeah. awful awful things under a pseudonym. Um, but he was the one who leaked, leaked the documents. But he ran a forum with with a few people uh, called and they thought of what to title it and initially it was something like something about uh, we, we are, are mars, mars hill. hill and then somebody was re- recommending to them who were in pr say we love mars hill instead because and this was the interesting thing the people in mars hill were conditioned to not listen to outside voices so they were used to hearing secular people um constantly bashing the church and saying like this place is you know it's it's something and it's bad. So they they really wanted to help people in the church by saying we are like we're we're a part of this church. We love it. We're speaking as insiders, and they had to do that. And it was a trusted resource. It was one of the few things a lot of people who went to Mars Hill would read, even though they wouldn't trust outsider sources because it was people who loved and cared about it from within that were sharing their stories. And and right. that's what that blog was looking to do was just bring out those things. But it's like. It's interesting what doesn't need to be directly said to you for you to absorb that fear of like listening to other voices uh, outside of your bubble of like, mm-hmm. you know, I'll, we do it. And it could be as simple as a church saying, you know, we got it right. Like we're special. We're just kind of encouraging that you wear whatever you're a part of has something that places out there don't get. And don't have and don't have that blessing or anointing or even right doctrine in some places they'll do that instead, depending if you're charismatic or not. If you're charismatic, it's God's blessing. If you're not, it's doctrine that you have sound. Yeah. And and those are the things where you get scared that if you leave this specific special place, that you're just gonna fall into some darkness that's not gonna be helpful to you. And so that fear of looking out outside is hard because you've been conditioned to really see your place as the source for for truth. And you're just talking about uh, information control. And I was thinking of the different ways that that's done without a pastor saying to you, you can't listen to anything mm-hmm. outside here. Just the ways they yeah. cast dispersion on people, make people afraid to listen. I find this interesting. Under information control, they have encourage spying on other members oh that was your bob jones experience the entire oh yeah oh yeah <laughs> i don't know that i was a part of anything in evangelicalism where we were spying on each i don't i don't know that wasn't part of any of my like most of these things definitely but this one is maybe more foreign what about you janice anything think, with spying what couldn't that be accountability yeah i was about and, to say wouldn't couldn't that be your like accountability partners yeah yeah like it's not small group <laughs> prayer requests hey. Yeah, absolutely. Go go spy on this person. But it's yeah. Did you fill out your report? How mm-hmm. how are you? Oh, how yeah, are yeah. your how are your girls doing? What are what are the prayer requests? What's mm-hmm. what's going on there? Who's who's yeah. saying what? Who's you know, um, you know, kind of yeah. tying in with that and just going back to like this idea of like you know the anger and and bitterness. You know, I get so mad about John Bevere and the bait of Satan. And how that book has been used to prime people, right? Mm-hmm. So even before before you leave, before you're bitter, before you're angry, while you're in church, now we have made a sin out of being offended. So now you can't you, you took can't apart get your that whole feelings book. hurt. And it was so easy. It was like, uh, what there what's was, Janice, your podcast is called uh the one that was covering the books, the Bad Book Club. Is that yeah? Is yeah. that what the title of bad, that podcast? Bad words. Bad words. Bad words. Um, 
Because I know you do um, God is not given, but the bad words, I had listened to the one where you were covering John Bevere and uh, that book. And that was a whole that, book on not being offended. Not being offended, which is a f- completely made up doctrine. Like this is fake theology. It's bad theology. But this is used to control, I think, information and thoughts, like probably like like leading into that. But it's, you know, this is one of the books, right? We're not going to say... Don't read Harry Potter. Right. If you have time to read Harry Potter, must be nice. But have you read these books that we do recommend? And here's one. Go through this with your with your connect group, and mm. you know, l- watch out for each other. Are you getting offended? Are you Are you upset about this? Are you? Wow. Hmm. Mm-hmm. You might You might want to deal with that, right? Wow. Or pray for my friend because she's offended about. Da, 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 whatever. So yeah, so it's not <laughs> spy on this yeah. person and tell us what's going on. This is all the best, best of intentions. Mm. Right? And like you guys have talked with Wes and I remember talking with him and then just kind of laughing. So like Wes, you're in so many people's stories and testimonies where you were like the person like trying to bring them back, right? Like trying to talk talk reason or trying to, well, have you thought about this? Have you, you know, whatever. And I think we've all been that person at some point mm-hmm. where yeah. I've informed on people, right? Like, hey, hey, Carl, this person is, they're on the fence. They're thinking yeah. about leaving. They're on the edge. They're feeling, they're feeling this best of intentions. Mm. But I was an informer. I was a spy. Mm-hmm. Wouldn't have called myself that. But no, you're like seeing your community as the safe place. And when you see someone about to like leave it, you think maybe we can do a better job as a group of meeting whatever their needs are or whatever is missing. So you're right. Best of intentions. Uh, right. How that information gets used is not always Mm-mm. within your control once you decide to share that. Yeah. Right. Yeah. 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 Whoa. All right. Let's try to speed through a few more of these. <laughs> Um, Two more to get through. <laughs> I know we've got all right. So extensive use. So still under information control. Extensive use of cult generated information and propaganda, including newsletter, magazines, journals, audio tapes, videotapes, YouTube, movies, music, other media, misquoting statements or using them out of context from non-cult sources. Oh, yeah, all the time, mm-hmm. all yeah. the time. I mean, when I was at Bob Jones University, we were only allowed to listen to music by, you know. um, Bob Jones University, read books from Bob Jones University Press. Um, I mean, we could also, there were other like-minded institutions. Um, Pensacola Christian College was one of them. Um, Northland Baptist Bible College was another one. But outside of that, we weren't allowed to um, to consume media from from elsewhere. And they they did have these strict rules about you're not allowed to listen to or or watch or read stuff from from other groups. Like there were certain people that were off limits to us. But um but then obviously Hillsong is a different story. It's the same <laughs> kind of thing. You know. But like so I had a different experience than you Nate in that I didn't have like damn fun without fundamentalism. Like that's really strict. However, you know, when you talk about cult sources or like um you know, we had material from Focus on the Family. We had so it wasn't from our church. It wasn't from yeah. our church. It was like all evangelicals were getting these these material. Like 
certain evangelical organizations that just sort of had their material propagated and spread throughout all of our church. Like, how is it that I can talk to so many evangelicals across denominations? We all know who focus on that. We all had heard some James Dobson stuff material somewhere along. Like, yeah. this was this was filtered into how we how we saw stuff. I was a part of um, a Bible study. Not it was called the Parachurch when it was called uh, Bible Study International. BSF was the acronym, and I was so proud of this organization because. It was not, you know, it was it was all Christianity in my head, <laughs> in my head. <laughs> um, and then looking back, I realized it's evangelical. Um, so sure, you have Pentecostals, you have Baptists, you have, you know, a lot of denominations fit under it. And I thought, wow, what a broad reach, because when they're covering a passage or a topic, they're going to bring into different perspectives. But different perspectives, I think this is part of the trickiness, different perspectives still within a framework that fits a very narrow perspective. So there was a lot, even as I was studying the Bible so regularly. I mean, this was a Bible study where you had to do homework every day to be like, and that's how committed you had to be. You had daily homework to do in homiletics each week um, when you were in leadership. And I wasn't at that, you know, um, but like, and I was like, wow, I'm getting, you know, such a, a wide, you know, a bigger, because it's not just my denomination. It's, you know, look, look how many churches are represented. There was this wasn't run by by my church. It was run at a church, and it wasn't run by that church. It was just run out of. And it was like a, a parachurch organization, they call themselves. But like, none of the Catholics were in leadership. Any Catholics that attended this Bible study <laughs> were not invited into leadership. Yep. And they had evangelical stances on, you know, if you were supportive of homosexuality, you couldn't be in leadership. Like, there was, it was an evangelical Bible study. And it took me a while to recognize that I was studying the Bible so much but through an evangelical lens and i thought it was bigger than it was because again the word denomination could make us feel like it's broad but evangelicalism is a very narrow subset and it includes it includes many denominations so yeah the differences between the denominations are minimal yeah it's like They're oh we don't small. agree on speaking in tongues or maybe we have differences on how we baptize or like such minuscule things but then like all the other stuff lines up very well yeah you know very yeah. very well Yep. Ugh. All right. Next topic, Nate. That wraps up another episode of the Full Mutuality Podcast. If you haven't already, please subscribe to us on your favorite podcast app. And if you don't already have one, head over to our website, fullmutuality.com, for a list of all the apps you can find us on. We couldn't do this without you, our listeners. So thank you so much for your continued support. Speaking of support, one of the best things you can do for us is to head over to Apple Podcasts and leave us a review. I'm pretty sure five-star reviews get you an extra crown in heaven. Look, seriously, if you found this episode insightful, spread the word and share it with your friends. And don't forget to follow us on social media. You can find us on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter at Full Mutuality. Thanks again for listening, and we'll see you on the next episode of the Full Mutuality Podcast. Mm -hmm.